What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about 10 things I wish I knew when I started training. And it's funny is as I make this list, this list, I just laugh at like how much time I would have saved, how much better progress I would have seen had I known these things. And I tried my best to put them in some sort of order, but the truth is I couldn't. And as I was reading five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to myself, like those are super important too. There's no, there's no discernible, the most important to least important here. I want you guys to listen to all of them. I'm going to try and get through them relatively quickly. Um, so stay with me here. Don't just jump out after number five here. So number one, technique first. Set a good foundation with proper technique for the movement patterns before you worry about more load, more reps, more sets, more anything. Like it needs to be the foundation. You need to learn how to squat, how to hinge, how to row, how to press, how to engage your core, how to brace. Those are things that are often the bottleneck for people down the line. Setting a good foundation with proper technique for those basic movement patterns is going to help you get injured less and make more progress over time. It's not just about injury prevention. Like you will actually make better progress if your hinge pattern and your squat pattern and your lunge pattern and your rows and your presses and your core moves, if you understand how to do them, you're doing them correctly, you'll be more effective. You'll see better progress over time. And the irony is I like this requires a bit of a mature mindset and a respect for the craft, a respect for the skill of lifting weights, setting aside a bit of ego, which ironically is just like, I think of my stupid, you know, 18 year old self. Like I didn't have any of that stuff. Like respect for the craft, like setting my ego aside, like lifting was just about my ego. So I hope I can help you kind of uh, accelerate that process of setting your ego aside and understanding that technique needs to be the foundation. And if you're, if your squat isn't to full depth or, or full enough where you're actually fully stimulating the muscles, like maybe it's about lowering the weight. Maybe it's about to doing some, some squat regressions, you know, moving off the barbell, going back to a goblet squat, or same thing with a, 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 like a barbell, uh, like a barbell deadlift. Like maybe it's about dialing it back. Maybe you need to leave your ego aside for a second, do some regressions of the movement pattern, and then work your way back up. You know, for the person out there who's never lift up, lifted a weight, I'm like, yeah, okay. To that person, I want to tell you, hey, set a good foundation with your technique first. For everybody out there listening who's already in a lifting regimen, who's been lifting for years, interrogate your technique. Watch yourself on tape. Have it, a coach uh, uh, interrogate your technique, right? If it requires you dialing back the weight and kind of building back up with better technique, do it. It's important. You will reduce your risk of injury, and be more effective with that movement by stimulating the muscles in the right way. Now, once your technique is down, number two is intensity is key. How many reps, how many sets, how much weight, how many workouts per week, it doesn't make a fucking difference unless your sets are, quote, intense enough. Intense enough means that those sets are taken close enough to failure to actually stimulate and disrupt homeostasis and cause adaptation and make you better. So I tell this to all my clients, don't worry about the rep range as much, don't worry about how many sets, just make sure that every set is intense enough, is hard enough to cause adaptation. After you can do that well with good technique, then we can start talking about, okay, what's optimal rep range? Uh, how many sets per workout? How many sets per week? How many workouts per week? 
but I see a lot of people, you know, asking me how many reps, how many sets, what's the best rep range, how many workouts per week, what's the best frequency? Man, make sure your sets are hard. And I'm actually a big proponent of, of, of modulating volume across the mesocycle. And, but if I, if you're doing that, if you're worrying about how many reps, how many sets, how much weight, how many workouts, and you're not actually worrying about each individual set being stimulating, this is a big like cart before horse moment where intensity is the bottleneck for you. Like you won't make more progress with more reps or more sets or more workouts if those individual sets themselves are not taken close enough to failure. Very quickly, what is close enough to failure? What is failure? Failure is the point where you couldn't do any more reps and close enough to failure to cause stimulation, to cause adaptation is probably within four reps, four or five reps, um, between four and five, all the way up to, you know, to failure itself. Um, make sure your sets are intense enough or it's not going to matter. Number three, don't go to failure all the time, especially as a beginner. Why especially as a beginner? Because as a beginner, it's unnecessary to go all the way to failure to get maximum gains. The training stimulus is so novel, you grow from just fucking looking at a dumbbell. You don't need to take your sets to failure. And when you don't need to take your, take your sets to failure, why would you cause more disruption than you have to? Get more sore, risk more injury, when you can get more gains a little bit further out from failure. So for everybody listening, you don't need to take all your sets to failure. You shouldn't take all your sets to failure. The nuance of when to take your sets to failure is something that I'll cover in another podcast in more depth, but you you shouldn't be going to failure all the time, especially as a beginner, for two reasons. One, like we said, it's unnecessary. You grow from almost anything. You don't need to go to failure to get maximum gains. And number two is your technique isn't ironed out enough for you to grind out reps with good technique. The closer you get to failure, the quicker your, your technique is going to crumble as a beginner because you haven't taught your your body that the the patterns well enough yet for you to work really hard and maintain technique if you watch uh you know a, a strong person who's been lifting for 10 years squatting with good technique for 10 years the first rep and the last rep will look almost identical if not identical even if that last rep was taken very close to failure now if i take johnny bag of donuts off the off the street never lifted a weight before put a barbell on his back and we're squatting and he barely knows how to, you know, to, to push his knees out. When he when it comes time for, for Johnny to, to grind out those last few sets of squats, they're not going to look like the first couple of reps because he hasn't ironed out that technique to be able to keep his technique sound as the set gets really hard, as it gets close to failure. So you don't need to go to failure as a beginner, so you shouldn't. And you don't have the requisite technique, the required technique, ironed out enough to be able to grind out reps with good form. So the closer you get to failure, if you ever watch a beginner squatting to failure, deadlifting to failure, uh, which probably are two two things in general, just a bad idea in general, even doing curls to failure, their technique just craps out toward the end because they haven't done it enough to really iron out that technique to which they can actually produce force close to failure and maintain technique. Number four, I beat this horse forever. Track your workouts and have literally any progression scheme that forces you to improve. Track your workouts and have literally any progression scheme that forces you to improve. It's just irrational for you to come in every workout and 
continuously, maybe it's week to week, maybe it's block to block, depending on how uh, beginner, intermediate, advanced you are, it's irrational for you to come in and just intuitively push yourself harder than last time. If you did 10 squats at 100 pounds last time, and you come in this this workout and you're supposed to do 11, like the only thing that's gonna get you to push yourself to do another rep is the fact that your training log says you have to. If you haven't gotten stronger in the in God knows how long, if you haven't been adding weight or reps or, uh, over the course of the last six months, year, two years, five years, 10 years, ask yourself, are you tracking your workouts? Because if you're not, then you're relying on intuitively feeling like pushing yourself harder than ever before. And that's not intuitive. It's an oxymoron. You're not going to intuitively push yourself extremely hard every single time. And even if you push yourself extremely hard, it might not actually be hard enough or harder than last time. So tracking your workouts and making sure that you're making progress either week to week, block to block, you know, every, every month, two, three months, depending on how advanced you are and how quickly you can make progress. It is imperative that you just write down your weight, and your reps, and you can objectively see, are you making progress? Because if you don't, chances are you just spin your wheels, you go into the gym, you do the same weight, same reps as you've always done, because there's nothing telling you that you should go up. The logbook is what tells you you need to go up. Last time you did 10, this time you're doing 11. Last time it was 100 pounds, today it's 105 pounds. Like, do that for a year, and I'll go over two super simple progression models in a quick second here, but um, if you do that for a year, you track your workouts and you push yourself from a progression mod, uh, 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 standpoint, you'll make more progress than you ever have in your life. So I prefer using double progression, uh, which states that you max out the rep range across all the sets and then you go up in weight or using just a really simple rep or load progression across a mesocycle. So if on week one, you did, like you said, 10 reps of squats at hundred pounds and you're doing load progression, you'd go to 10 reps at 105 pounds. Or if you're doing a rep progression, you'd go to 11 reps at 100 pounds. And literally any progression scheme, those are both totally fine. But just pick anything that forces you to get stronger week to week or month to month, block to block. And on that tracking your workout note, there are kind of like two sub ones here. One is pyramids are dumb. Pyramid sets are just kind of dumb. Um, you doing one set at 100 pounds for 10 reps and 120 for eight reps, 140 at six reps, 180 at four reps. What in the hell are you gonna do next time to make sure that you got better? It's too difficult to track. It's, it's too difficult to keep it apples to apples. Pick one weight for that workout for the number of sets that you need to accomplish. Pick one weight and stick with that one weight. Do 100 pounds for three sets of squats. Maybe you get 10 on the first one, nine on the second one, seven on the third one. Great, 100 pounds, 10.97. The next time you come in, it's very easy. You're like, okay, I did 100, 10.97. Today I'm doing 100, 11.10.8, something like that. It's very clear and objective. Did you make progress? How to make progress? When you're doing pyramids and you did five sets and each set was a different weight, man, how are you gonna reproduce that next time? How are you gonna make sure that you're getting stronger? It's too fucking all over the place. Pyramids just give me agita. It's like, it's like you did, you did one set at 100, one set at 120, one at 140, one at 160. What the hell are you going to do next time to make sure that it's better? You're going to make each one of those five more pounds. It's all over the place. Keep it simple. Manipulate fewer variables. One weight per workout. And then have a load or rep progression week to week, month to month. Number five, standardize your range of motion. What does that mean? Let's think of a barbell bench press. 
what is the beginning of the barbell bench press? What is the end? What are the two points of the range of motion? Well, the bottom of the range of motion is when the bar touches your chest and the top position is when your arms lock out. And it's very clear and very objective. Bottom touches the, the chest to the, the uh, bar to your chest. Top is arms lock out straight over the chest. It's super objective. You know every single time, was that a full rep or not? If you don't touch your chest, not a full rep. If you don't get to lock out, not a full rep. Having those objective standards is going to make tracking your workouts so much easier. If you do a set of bench press and the first eight, touch your chest, lock out, touch your chest, lock out. You get to number nine, it's like uh, halfway down, all the way up, kind of locking out, coming close to your chest, then kind of locking out, then locking out, then one touches your chest. What do you write down in the logbook? You're like, well, I did eight good ones and then two three quarter reps and then one, one eighth reps and then one, one sixteenth rep. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's impossible to track. Have really objective standards for your range of motion. If you're doing a deadlift, the the plates have to touch the ground or something that you elevate if you're not doing a deadlift all the way to the floor. Maybe you're putting some plates down because that range of motion is not adequate for you. Or if you're doing a bicep curl, you know, all the way down until your tricep flexes where your arm is straight and then curl all the way up till that dumbbell touches your shoulder, let's say. Or if you're doing lat pull downs, right? Arms all the way up until you get a full stretch and then pull that bar all the way down until you touch your chest or below your chin or whatever your range of motion standard is. Now on that note, the standard ranges of motion are going to be a little bit different for each person. You might be listening and be like, well, I can't touch the bar to my chest on a bench press. Uh, you know, maybe for whatever reason, that's just not, that's not practical for you. Or like I said, with the deadlift, maybe you're not touching the plates to the floor. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have standardized range of motion. You should, it's just, you should manipulate what that range of motion looks like. So in the deadlift example, if you can't RDL, let's say all the way to the ground and tap the plates on the floor with a neutral spine, maybe you put two 45 plates on the ground to kind of elevate the floor so that you have something to tap. It's like on a lunge, if you're lunging, you want your back knee to hit the ground so that you know every single lunge, I gotta tap the floor, I gotta tap the floor. So there's no if, ands, or buts around what's your full range of motion, what's not. Like that's what you need to do to count the rep. And if your counter to that is, well, I can't get all the way down there because of certain mobility issues, let's say. Great, so let's elevate the floor. Let's put like a little foam pad and let's have you tap that because the truth is whatever range of motion is adequate for you, we need to standardize it so that you can track it. Number six, stop program hopping and stop doing random shit every time. Whew. This is one that we are all guilty of early on in our training careers. We just follow a program for two weeks, jump over to the next bodybuilding.com forum program, and then we buy this person's PDF from Instagram. And you just never do a program long enough to really learn the movements and sink your teeth in long enough to get the most out of the program, right? You're like, uh, you know, do a, a upper lower split for two weeks. And I'm like, oh, look at this, you know, five day body part split. That looks cool. And it's like, ah, you know what? I'm going to go do CrossFit now. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to do, go back to like this arms program. Like stick with the program for four to eight weeks and then deload. And we'll talk about that later. And then swap, make some small variations and keep, keep going, making small, small changes in between blocks, stick with the program for four to eight weeks at a time. What ends up happening is on week one, you're kind of learning the movements. I, mean, I know that any, everybody listening knows what I'm talking about. On week one of a program, you're just learning the movements. You're looking at the movements. Maybe you're YouTubing how to do them. You're getting the feel for them. You're 
deciding what weight is productive for you. And and that first week, you might fuck some of that up. You you know, you pick the wrong weight, your form doesn't look great, you video yourself, you're like, oh, it doesn't look very good. Week two, you come in, you start to learn a little bit better. That that second week workout's better because you know what you're in for. You're probably more time effective because you don't have to look up stuff. You understand the critique critique from your last workout in terms of techniques, so you're touching that up. You know better, you, you're, you have a more accurate weight that you're gonna use for this session. You're not trying out 10 different weights. That second week workout is better. It's a better workout. Man, when you get to week three, week four, you're really in the groove now. The, the movements, the mind-muscle connection on a lot of those movements just goes up and up and up. You start getting better at the movement. Man, week three, four, you know, two, three, four, five of a program, they're great, right? If you program hop after week two, you probably never hit your stride and actually got your best training from that program. Doing a program for, let's say, four weeks, five, six, seven weeks at a time, Obviously, there's a diminishing return, a point where those movements become stale. But there's a really nice, like, like, uh, like, like honeymoon phase, or not honeymoon phase, but like a, a really good sweet spot in that like three to six week phase, in week three to week six, where you're very good at the movements. Now you understand what you're doing. You understand how do you uh, how to do them from a t- technique perspective. You understand what muscles you're working. You have a really good mind muscle connection. Those are the best weeks. Those are the weeks most people never get because they program hot before they ever get there. Stick with the program you're doing. Uh, I will go on the record and say of you sticking to a suboptimal program, to a decent program, to a not great program, but you sticking to it for four to eight weeks will almost inevitably 100% produce better results than you getting the best program and doing it for two weeks and then swapping to another best program for a week and then another best program for another two weeks. Like stick to your pro, sticking to the program, the continuity is in my opinion more highly weighted than the the actual program itself. It's not hard to make a half decent program. It's hard to it shouldn't be hard, but it's hard for people to actually stick to that program. Like I look at uh, uh, other coaches' programs when I when I'm onboarding clients. I'm like, hey, send me what you've been doing, and like whether or not whatever I think of the program, I'm thinking you know, as long as you stick to this, as long as you stuck to this half decent program, you're going to see results. It's about sticking to the program. So no more program helping. Stop doing random shit every time. And on that note of, of doing random shit every time, beyond the fact that you never actually get into a nice groove of doing the movements, build some mind-muscle connection, it's impossible to track more progress. Like, what are you writing in your logbook? You're like, today I did bench, squat, lunge, curls. And then next week you're like, I did push-ups, deadlifts, pull-ups. Like, whoa, wait, what, what? Like, you want to be doing the same week of workouts week to week, right? It might be four different workouts during the week, two upper, two lower. You want to do those same exercises in the same order for the same rep range week to week for four to eight weeks. Man, that's how you compare apples to apples. And the more you can compare apples to apples, the more you can make sure those apples are harder and harder week to week, month to month, block to block. If you're doing random shit every single time, it's impossible to track. And like we talked about when we were talking about tracking your workouts, if you're not tracking them, it's very difficult, almost impossible for you to intuitively walk into the gym and push yourself hard enough and effectively enough to continue making progress, especially beyond your newbie gain phase. Number seven, there isn't one universal perfect technique for every exercise. There are some parts of the movement that, that should be standardized, for sure. 
your deadlift, uh, you know, you should initiate the movement from the hips. Your spine needs to be neutral. You want to keep your lats tight. You want to keep the bar close to the body. But man, if I line up 10 different people and they all get into their deadlift stance, they're all going to look a little bit different. Anthropometry is different. Your limb length is different. Your proclivities are different. Sometimes you have a, a somebody who's a better a quad dominant deadlifter. You have people that are more, you know, posterior dominant, like have their hips higher, have their hips lower, their chest higher, their chest lower. Like, Yes, your spine needs to be neutral. You know, if you're doing conventional, your hands are outside your knees, like your knees are driving out against your hands, your glutes are engaged, like all those things are similar, but there's no one universal perfect technique. If you see me doing uh, cable rows, you see that I, I have a lot of uh, um, thoracic like protraction and, and, and uh, retraction and a lot of extension and flexion that's going on there. And you might not see other people doing that. Other people might have more strict rowing technique. It's not better or worse. You know, it's not mine is wrong and theirs is right, or theirs is right and mine is wrong. They're they're both two different correct ways to do the technique. If you see people doing curls and they're standing, and this is one that I see all the time, people are like, tuck your elbows next to your side. They should never raise up from your side. That's not true, right? Elbow assists in shoulder flexion. You can pick your elbow up in a curl and it's actually going to help. Or you can tuck your elbows back and, and do a curl a little bit differently, like where the orientation of your shoulder is you know, doesn't make it right or wrong. It makes it different. So next time you see somebody doing technique, you're like, are they doing those baseline things correctly that we need to do to make this safe and effective? And if they are, man, there's going to be a lot of inter-individuality. Number eight, there are no mandatory exercises, period. I would say that there are, that everybody should be progressing in the squat, the hinge, the lunge, push exercises, pull, and core movements, right? That doesn't mean you need to barbell back squat. Should you do a squat pattern? Yes. You can do a goblet squat. It can be a front squat. Excuse me. It can be a split squat. Like, do you need to do a barbell conventional deadlift from the ground? No. You can do a kettlebell RDL, right? You can do a barbell RDL. You can do sumo RDLs. You can do uh, uh, good mornings. Like, do you need to do walking lunges? No, but you should probably be doing some unilateral training, some unilateral lunging, like reverse lunges or even just split squats. People are going to say it's a squat or a lunge, whatever. It's a unilateral squat pattern. Um, do you need to be doing barbell bench press? Like the, the, the quintessential examples for me are, do you need to do a barbell bench press to, to grow your chest and your shoulders, your triceps? No. Do you need to do some horizontal pushing? Yes. If you said, you know, if, if me and Johnny Bag of Donuts are at the gym and Johnny's like, hey, we're going to do barbell bench press you know, best chest exercise there is. And I'm like, no, Johnny, like my, you know, I just, I don't really feel it in my chest. I don't get a good pump. It just hurts my shoulders. It feels weird. I don't really like it. I prefer dumbbells. Johnny's like, nah, you're never going to build a big chest without a barbell bench, huh? That's not true. Like you don't need to do a barbell bench press. If you like dumbbells better or you like push-ups better, like do those. And and when I say like them better, I mean, they, they hurt your joints less. You get a better pump, better feeling of tension in the muscle like you don't need to do specific exercises if someone's like johnny's like yeah we're gonna do really wide grip pull downs for the lats get the wings going you know like and i'm like no johnny when i do the wide grip like i just it just like hurts my elbows and i just feel it in my forearms i don't really get a good back stimulus when i bring my arms a little bit closer for the pull down i feel really great and he's like nah that's not right i ain't seen that on instagram like this is not true like if you feel it better doing uh, uh, dumbbell curls versus a barbell curl, 
and you're like, I don't feel shit when I do barbacoa. It hurts my wrists. I don't like to, to supinate that much. I don't like to open up my wrists or uh, uh, my hands that much. I like to prefer to be able to twist as I pull. That's great. My point is there's no one mandatory exercise. There's also no one mandatory technique, right? I mean, we talked about technique just a second ago of like, there's no one universal perfect technique, but like, if you feel certain muscle, uh, you feel certain exercises better in the target muscle than others, then listen to that. Listen to that. Don't don't force the square peg into the round hole and be like, yep, got to do barbell bench press because Johnny said so. Like, no, you don't. Like, you can do other horizontal pressing movements if you like them better. Number nine, deload. Deload. You guys know that I blow like the deload, the deload horn, the deload shofar for all my Jews out there. Like, yeah, it's just very simple. If you don't need a deload every four to eight weeks, you're just not training hard enough to see progress. Because if you're training hard enough to see progress, fatigue will accumulate over those four to eight weeks to a point where you can't make any more progress and you must deload so that you can start fresh. If you're not deloading and you feel fine all the time, man, I'm gonna raise a little skeptical eyebrow that you're just not training hard enough to see optimal progress or, or almost, man, any progress. For me, when I look back at my non-deloading days, I always had these like little knickknacks. I always had like a, a subscap issue. I always had a little shoulder, my external rotators. Like I didn't feel great. My knees kind of, you know, I had a knee injury the last year and I know for a fact it was from not managing my fatigue well, uh, training too often, training with too much intensity, too much volume and not taking deloads. And since I started doing that, managing my fatigue, my volume, my intensity, taking deloads, my knee feels great. You guys know I post about it quite often. Like I'm, I'm super happy with how my knee feels. And I know that that's from me respecting my body. And part of respecting your body is giving it breaks when it needs it so that it can actually make progress. So if you guys don't know what a deload is, you have no idea. It's a, let's say a week of low intensity, low volume or no training in between training blocks. And if you still want to learn more about it, I will link in the description to the podcast I did all about deloads. It'll explain everything ad nauseum. Number 10, the last one is hire a coach. If I could tell my old self one thing, I would hire a coach because you know what a coach is going to do. It's good. He's, he or she is going to explain the 10 things that I just mentioned so that you can nip this in the butt and not look back 10 years later and be like, man, like I was a fucking idiot. Hire a coach to set you straight and hire a, a good coach, somebody that you respect in the industry, somebody with the values of doing it right, um, not selling bullshit. Someone who's going to tell you, hey, dude, it's too heavy. Your technique sucks. Uh, let's dial it back. Maybe they're not going to say it as abruptly, but let's dial it back. Let's build that technique back up. Somebody who's going to say, hey, it's been it's been four or five, six, seven weeks. It's time to take a deload. Someone who's going to say, hey, standardize the range of motion, man. Some of those curls were half reps. Some of them were three quarters reps. Some of them were all the way down. Like, let's get them all unified. Um, someone who's going to tell you, hey, it doesn't matter how many reps and sets right now. Yes, we have a target rep range, but what I need more than anything is to make sure that your sets are intense enough that they're close enough to failure. So hire a coach because they're going to accelerate the process and they're going to give you objective advice that you might actually give yourself the same advice, but sometimes hearing it from somebody else is exactly what you need to kind of validate making a change. Hire a coach because you need, everybody listening to this, you need a program that is designed for you your time allocation, your exercise uh, um, like uh, variation, your exercise selection preferences. 
your workout style preferences, your frequency capacity. How many times a week can you work out? How much time can you allocate towards training? What muscle groups do you wanna grow? Which exercises feel great for you? Which ones don't feel great? Like you need a program that's designed for you. And yeah, some cookie cutter programs out there might be fine, right? They cover the basics, they cover the basic movement patterns, they have a variety of rep ranges and they tell you to deload. And that can be okay, it, it can be okay. I don't want you to say you need to spend all this money on a coach, you can't just go out and find a pretty decent program, you can. But it's never going to be as good as something that's tailored for you. And you might say, okay, it's not gonna be as good, that's fine, I'm okay with that. Like, that's totally cool, I totally support you. But as a coach, I know that one of the best things I can give somebody is a sounding board, a, 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 a somebody that they can ask a ton of questions and I can be a source of learning. And the, one of the best things that I find happens a lot with my clientele is like when we start to do things, there's a lot of, okay, why did you do this? Why is that important? Like you want to learn, not just by doing, because listen, if you if you don't listen to any of this stuff and, and you look back on your first five, 10 years of training and you're like, I didn't do any of this stuff. Yeah, you learned by doing, you learned by messing it up. You learned by not deloading. You learned by getting injured. You learned by, but like, that's one way to learn and, and you might learn. A lot of us learn by messing up. We learn by doing, we learn by screwing it up. That's great, but like if you can learn without screwing it up, if you can learn before you get injured, if you can learn like before your technique is, is brutal five years in, you're squatting 300 pounds with your knees caving in, your back rounding, like why not get out ahead of that? And, and, and frankly, I do this for a living and I hate programming for myself. It's just something I would rather offload to somebody else who, who is going to ask me the right questions. And yes, I can program for myself. I've done it for years, but I have never enjoyed my training more <laughs> when I didn't program for myself. There's something about that accountability of like receiving a program on your email, opening up, be like, hey, this is what you're doing. Instead of having to generate that from your own mind. Besides, most of you guys listening to this, no offense to you, like you just not, you're not qualified to build a really great, properly designed, tailored program for you. And that's totally fine. You're not a professional, it's not what you do for a living. Hire a coach, help him uh, uh, get a program that's tailored for you, ask a freaking million questions, learn a ton, and accelerate the process of learning both physically from a technique and intensity perspective, but also from a strategic structured planning perspective of like how to track your workouts, how to progress, when to take deloads, you know, how to standardize your range of motion, all of that stuff that we just talked about. Hiring a coach is going to accelerate this whole process. And if I could have asked for anything when I was 20 years old, I would have asked uh, myself or I would have told my younger self, invest some money in a coach that you respect, that you've vetted, that you ha that has values that you you respect, that you know is gonna treat you, you know, uh, prioritize the right things and help you do it right. It's going to accelerate this process so, so freaking much. And I have a little bonus one here and then I'm gonna let you guys go. Number 11 was, is, uh, I wasn't debating putting this one in, but, but maxing out is dumb, period. If you're not a power lifter, and even if you were a professional athlete, maxing out, testing your one rep max is fucking stupid. You get, it, it's only beneficial to the point of it being motivating for you, but like, why not practice your five rep max? Why is your five rep max not motivating? Like maxing out your one rep max the only reason to ever do that is so when some chick is like, how much you bench? You can answer, but like nobody gives a shit. Like nobody cares how much you can bench. Nobody cares how much you can squat. Nobody cares how much you can deadlift. Like 
maxing out doesn't serve any real physiological purpose. It doesn't make you better at almost anything and certainly doesn't make you grow muscle. It really doesn't even make you stronger. It gets you better at doing one rep. Maxing out is dumb. If you're not a professional power lifter and maybe a professional athlete, but I would still, I would still posit that's, still, that's pretty dumb. Stop maxing out. It's a higher risk of injury for literally no physiological reward. It makes no goddamn sense. You're just doing it to stroke your ego. And anytime you're doing something just to stroke your ego, probably a, a pretty big waste of your time. All right, guys, those are the 10, 11 things I wish I knew when I started training. I appreciate you guys listening, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Leads Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.